Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plans. Well, welcome church planners. My name is Travis Sinks, and I'm filling in for Peyton Jones today. Uh, Last week, we interviewed Casey Cleveland of the Avenue Church in Delray Beach, Florida. And today, we're going to be interviewing one of the assistant pastors there, John O'Brien. John, you want to say hi? Uh, he is an assistant pastor there. He has done so many wonderful things. He's one of those guys that is constantly filling your Facebook feed with good quotes and ideas and things he's reading, um, as well as you've picked up some crazy exercise regiments, right? Yes, with sir. All right. So he's one of those guys that you know you can always bank on some good stuff coming out. Um, but John, if, do you want to give us some background about who you are, about the ministry you do at the Avenue Church, uh, your background with AA, as today's topic is part two of... Uh, helping addicts in our churches, helping people with struggle with drug addiction and alcohol uh, addiction. What can you tell us about your background, your ministry, what you do, who you are? Sure. Well, briefly, um, this February 18th will be 17 years clean from drugs and alcohol. Um, when I was younger, um, you know, two shaping forces in my life, two shaping themes are... Uh, you know, what the Bible calls lack of self-control. Uh, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So in the ancient world, if you didn't have walls, you were uh, just defenseless against marauding bands and you were subject to chaos. And I was very much subject to chaos. Uh, it's, it came very naturally to me. And then the other big theme in my life that led to an addiction was uh, what the Bible calls fear of man. So really caring a lot about what other people thought about me needing approval uh, for my identity and uh, self-worth and doing anything uh, to get that approval. And eventually that led to an active addiction and multiple interventions. And then 16 and a half months in a teen challenge program uh, where Jesus saved me and began to transform me and has not stopped since. So by the grace of Jesus, I'm now married and have a 10 month old son and uh, get to serve in a church in the recovery capital of the country and continually be uh, transformed by my engagement with people with similar struggles. So a little window into my, to who I am. That's awesome. I mean, it sounds like you've done, uh, obviously experienced a lot of what we're talking today personally, um, which, you know, is very different from Casey's experience. And um, so that is very cool. And you mentioned specifically how you kind of came to Jesus and how you were brought from uh, not just recovery, but to, but to Jesus. Um, and obviously everyone's different. There's different times and different places. And that was the context then. What about the context now? What types of things are you guys doing as a church, whether it be overall ministries or just systems you have in place? Casey talked some about uh, having community and focusing on that and focusing on one-on-one discipleship, but what types of things uh, or systems, obviously, you know, there's a lot of AA houses that Casey mentioned here that may not be every context, but what are systems that are either available online or in 
majority of cities that you can point churches to that you guys implement yourself? Sure thing. Well, a really, really great, two really, three really great resources that I can point people to are Recovering Redemption uh, by the Village Church, Matt Chandler. And it's a very strong uh, gospel-centered um, walk through the 12 steps uh, that applies to people with addictions and people without addictions. And it really, really, really works well with people in addictions uh, by kind of explaining what's going on beneath the surface, the roots in our, in our worship disorder. Um, we were created to have an insatiable appetite for God and, and sin has hijacked that and made us attracted to things that can kill us. And Jesus is on a mission to rescue us um, from the penalty of our sin and rescue us from the power of sin, give us a new heart, a new root that changes everything. And that is a really, really rich resource Another really rich resource for people in recovery that's available to everyone is Redemption Groups. It's a network and it's a book. And um, that's a really powerful tool for helping people uh, see how the gospel can connect with their story and revolutionize their identity and their purpose and uh, just connect some of the main themes of God's story to their lives. It's Exodus-based and shows how everything points to Jesus and how he sets us free from the idols we worship and the wounds we carry, just some of the inner heart dynamics that drive addiction. That's really powerful. And um, a third resource is, is just everything that comes out of the Christian Counseling Education Foundation. They have a ton of little mini books. They have really amazing books on addiction um, by Ed Welch and other themes related to addiction like shame, anxiety, fear of man that are very, very uh, profound and helpful. Uh, I really didn't start to change personally until I started to read those guys because they began to show me how to connect my life to the gospel and all the power is in the gospel. So those are three resources that are available to everybody. Um, Can you list those three again, just one after another? Recovering Redemption by Matt Chandler. There's also a follow-up to that called Steps by Matt Chandler uh, and Michael Snetzer. Um Redemption, it's a book, and there's also a Redemption Groups Network that's really good for training people um, to experience transformation and lead others through a process of transformation. And the Christian Counseling Education Foundation has done a really great job of helping people uh, see how the gospel connects to their unique struggles. Okay. And that has really enriched our church culture and helped showing us how the gospel can address any life-controlling issue and redeem people from sin and suffering. So those are all, those sound awesome. How do you guys implement those as a church? Do you just hand them out or a resource table? Do you start groups? Are they like ongoing groups or is it like a class? How do you guys utilize those things? So one way that's really easy is every sermon, uh, we have incorporated the DNA of those materials into our preaching and as leaders, we try to model gospel transparency and talk about how addictions and people with addictions are really just a mirror of every human heart. They picked an object. Uh, I had picked an object that just accelerates the downward spiral, the death spiral faster. It's more obvious, but the same dynamics are present in every human heart, whether they worship security or approval or control or power or success. Um, 
it's the same dynamic. It just has different effects. Um, some are less obvious than others. Another way that we teach that to people is we have something called uh, discipleship and community training that we got from the guy who started Redemption Group Network. And it's basically Paul Tripp's book, uh, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And it just shows you how to uh, follow Jesus in the incarnation, to go into people's world, to incarnate God's love, to ask questions that target the heart, to discover where change is needed, and then know how to come alongside people and speak the truth in love in really person-specific ways. And that's a really rich way for teaching people how to begin to see how questions can uncover the heart dynamics and people can meet Jesus right there in the midst of their everyday struggles. So that's kind of surprising. So basically, you you almost don't do anything different in some ways, and you simply apply all the same stuff. Because like you said, it's it's not that it's a worse sin, it's just a sin. It's one of the many things we can do with our worship and with our lives, and you simply apply words that they would understand and phrases and um, apply the gospel in such a way that, that people in AA would understand. It is, yeah. sounds like, and then you essentially just have that be throughout everything you do, which I mean is something we all should do all the time regardless. But it sounds like basically you're just like, well, this is the people, this is their verbiage. Let's just apply what Jesus has to this verbiage. It's really just, uh, you know, putting it in their context. Absolutely. And then one final system, whenever anyone comes into our church, if they want to get plugged into community, uh, we incorporate them into engage them in in relationships and the primary vehicle for that is called missional communities many churches are using them uh todd engstrom and austin stone church are kind of pioneer in that area and jeff vanderstelt soma community churches out in uh tacoma washington we kind of followed their model and getting people meeting in homes and seeing that we're, we don't go to church, we are the church, mm-hmm. we're God's family on his mission, and then really grounding people in the gospel and helping normies, we call them, and, and people in recovery see that we both have the same common heart issues going on and that we really have more in common than we realize. We may have differences in degree, but we have the same root struggles going on and we have more in common than we realize. Something I've heard from people in AA and in Delray is that um, it isn't all that similar to AA the rest the way the rest of the country functions. Um, would you say that the the words you're using and the approach you've had here would it apply to um, addicts throughout the country, or have I don't know how much you've traveled the specific areas um, with heavy uh, populations of people in addiction? But do you think using the same verbiage as you've been using? And talking about or the same verb as these books or resources would talk about or do you think people really have to i mean obviously we should always be aware of people around us but do you think for the most part people can take these phrases and be understood or is it pretty different throughout the united states with uh, drug addiction that is a great question my first inclination would be to say that it's probably uh, i'm speaking a lot of christianese right now yeah and and wouldn't be intelligible to them. It's a church planner podcast. They got it. Yeah. So when you get to mistakes that I've made, I've got some really good doozies to share (laughs) about, you know, really learning what it means to uh, enter another person's world and learn their language 
and then learn how to connect the gospel to them and their world. So this, these words, this language uh, resonates with me and with us, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's all about contextualization, uh, entering another person's world, their sphere of experience, and learning how to target the heart and then speak their language. So you're right, it would probably change drastically. Uh, Concepts would be the same, uh, gospel realities, but whatever it takes to contextualize it to reach people where they're at, that would probably change. So probably I I doubt people speak this way uh, in other contexts. Yeah, I wasn't sure, especially because, I mean, technically, they only have one AA book. It's not even like it's different uh, versions or things. So I figured... Maybe the the language might stay the same. I was hopeful, but you know, people are people, yeah, and we'll and adjust. The, the, the primary language, you know, they they really emphasize knowing the problem, which is it's a physical addiction, it's a mental obsession, and it's a spiritual malady. So really, there there is a lot of overlap between secular, uh, non exclusively Jesus recovery and what we're doing, Mm -hmm. but uh, the exclusivity of Jesus will always be offensive to um, the AA crowd, and the absolute authority of Scripture will always be offensive to the non-Christian crowd, and so just recognizing that and just being unique about it, Mm -hmm. but not sacrificing or compromising the truth um, is something that I've learned to juggle, walk in tension. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how have you guys found, I mean, obviously, uh, this is a more concentrated area where you live. And so there's more of a awareness, at least, of uh, drug addiction and AA. But how have you gotten people to actually care about it? Because in some ways, concentration, people could care even less because it's so normal. Like, well, there's another person that's, you know, on the streets. Why should I care? There's no different than every other people I've met. Um, how have you not only fostered but maintained um, people who are not in AA to care about those who are and to, uh, you know, disciple them and to be part of what you guys are doing as a church? So really three ways. One is as a leadership to constantly talk about how we're more alike than different and uh, to, to illustrate those commonalities um, from the pulpit to model that, that humility and transparency to talk about the way that uh, a recovery community can really enhance the authenticity of a church because a lot of times churches are known for not being safe places to not be okay. So uh, creating a culture of grace in that way. Uh, A second way is engaging people in these missional communities in people's homes where you have normies and non-normies together. And then they start to realize, wow, like we can still connect in Christ and have this, you know, common peril. We were lost in our sin and this common hope we're, we're growing in Christ. We're on our way to a new place. We have a new identity. We're family. And so we may have a lot of differences, but we have a lot of uh, core things in common in Christ. And so just an example of that, we've seen our, for example, Casey, his dad, uh, you know, no addiction in his background, but being in a small group Bible study environment with a bunch of people in recovery and I know those guys in recovery, they're, they're in my missional community right now, and they still talk to this day about how impactful it was to have that uh, weekly fellowship with Don Cleveland, with, with Casey's dad, um, in the Bible, and learning from his experience, and then being able to be honest and to process things with him. And so 
Um, even when two people are radically different in age and experience, the gospel can really bind them together in unity and uh, weave together a really beautiful um, relationship. And, uh, and then going on mission together, serving together, really creates a sense of camaraderie, fellowship, and family on mission that uh, has, uh, with that rep- repetition from the pulpit, repetition and MCs, repetition, small groups and service, um, broken down those walls between us. Yeah, so it sounds a lot of simply just the one-on-one, you're taking one person and showing them why they should care and how they're a part of their lives, then you take another person and get them involved in another person. It's that slow process of, of individuals learning to care and not just like you can you know flip a switch or start a program and everyone suddenly cares, but getting those one-on-one relationships and stuff is kind of what it sounds like. Which obviously, I guess, is easier in, in your context where, you know, out of, you know, 200 people in a church, if you have, you know, 100 that are in AA, that means one-to-one program. <laughs> Everyone can care. But for some churches where it's, you know, if they have 200 people, they have two people who are in drug addiction, they may be able to get 10 people around them, but that means 20 people in their church care. So um, I guess the more people you can get seeing the effects of it and getting to know the person and kind of sharing that person's story, it sounds like the the better chance you have of getting people to realize this is a person just like me and I could be in their situation too. And I need to care about them as they're part of the body of Christ. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, well, you kind of already alluded to it, but you know, nobody's perfect, but maybe we can learn from some of your mistakes. Maybe we don't have to make some of the same ones. Uh, what are some things you've learned along the way, whether it be individual conversations, whether it be setting up processes, um, what kind of things have worked? What kind of things have not worked? So one of the first lessons I learned, I, I, we launched the church, and I was fresh out of seminary, and I would go to 12-step meetings and very quickly began to be talked about uh, by these different leaders of these 12-step groups for being a troublemaker. <laughs> because I, I, would, I would try to, you know, do apologetics in an AA group, you know, and, uh, you know, when people would say things that were, um, you know, wrong, I would try to lovingly and humbly deconstruct it, you know, and, and do different things. And I began to realize that that just got everybody really angry at me. And actually a few people would come up to me afterward and end up becoming discipled and becoming Christians and they're still following Jesus. So there were people who, you know, even a year later would say like, hey, that illustration totally showed me that everything I was thinking was false mm-hmm. and I've never been the same. So it did work a little bit, but I realized that I could be more, like Jesus said, innocent as a dove and shrewd as a snake and go in there and kind of honor the culture and not, you know, compromise the truth of the gospel, the exclusivity of Christ or the absolute truth of scripture, but to play by their rules a little bit and then a big value for them is attraction rather than a promotion. So um, be joyful, be transparent, be humble, be self-deprecating. And then people would come to me and, and want what I have. And then I could take them through the 12 steps and say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going to openly like kind of show you some of these things if you're interested. And then surprisingly, people would be interested. So I, I learned to kind of change my approach and it, it would enable me to go into new venues um, because I wasn't doing that head-on collision 
uh, so to speak. So there's always a time and a place for everything. But that was something that I learned that's been more effective since then, created more opportunities to meet more people, to collaborate more, mm-hmm. reach more people. Um, another thing that I've learned is no one is beyond grace. I've seen God show me people who I thought were just despicable, like their patterns were so disgusting, or people who were extremely mentally ill. And I thought, surely, like this is beyond hope. And again and again, God has shown me that no one is beyond the power of the gospel to reach and transform. And I've seen some really beautiful transformation stories uh, with everything from schizophrenia to extremely, extremely lewd, um, you know, patterns of behavior and sin. And really just seeing how that's just exposing my heart and and my uh, self-righteousness that I could, um, you know, think in those ways. Uh A couple other major mistakes that I learned was assessing readiness of change. So, for example, when I first started, I would rescue people. Somebody sells their car to a crack dealer, and I'd spend 24 hours trying to get the car back. I can give multiple examples of times where I I rescued people from the consequences of their actions, or I overly invested in people who were not ready soil for the gospel. There wasn't a readiness to change. And so now I've learned to develop discernment. And instead of being extremely uh, prescriptive and teachy, uh, to ask questions. I've learned questions are the way to, to help people grow, to make them think, to help them uh, explore their resistance to change, their fear of change, their ambivalence about change, to resolve those issues uh, through questions. And... Um, really to make things much more much more simple. I realized that I made things way too complicated. I gave way too much information. And if I just really befriended people and entered their world and asked heart-focused, spirit-led questions, that they could realize what they needed to do next faster um, and more developmentally appropriate ways you know uh, when a person's in early recovery their brain doesn't even work completely yet it takes about a year sometimes for a person's brain to fully return to normal if ever and so um even physically they can't the capacity is not the same for everybody so just learning to move slower to be simple and to really put all my hope in the power of the word and the spirit and the gospel was huge for me it kind of sounds like when it comes down to it, it's just ministry. <laughs> like, obviously, there's there's some things where it's like, you know, oh, it's good to know this or it's good to know that. But in general, it's like be patient and rely on God's spirit and grace and it's ministry. Yeah, yeah. I overcomplicate everything. Uh, so would there be maybe one or two top suggestions? There were some resources earlier. There were some of the ways you guys have implemented them or gotten people involved. Um, if there were two things you'd be like, oh, if you have people at your church right now who who have issues like this and need help dealing with this, what would be the couple like main things? Like you got to get this started or you got to do this thing. The two biggest things for me would be missional communities, a return to discipleship as the core mission of the church. Uh, many of the church planners listening may already be doing that. And so I'm preaching to the choir there. But two or three years ago, we had that major paradigm shift where it's not about executing a Sunday service. It's about uh, integrating people into 
rhythms of life that are relational and action-focused, obedience-based to the word instead of knowledge-based, and really moving slow with people and giving them reproducible practices, discipleship practices, you know, engaging people in community, in life-on-life, and in life-on-mission relationships, kind of that Jeff Vanderstelt, Austin Stone um, model of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what people call it, but really relational discipleship, getting people in community, just like Jesus spent all his time investing in the few to reach the many and turn a culture upside down, us returning to that, and the the pastors modeling that, Mm -hmm. like uh, reproducing leaders through community, um, modeling and reviewing uh, just the word with people in the context of relationships. And then really the second biggest thing is a worship understanding of, of people and motivation, the motivational drives of the heart, whether you get that from Tim Keller or the Christian Counseling Education Foundation or the Redemption book or redemption or Recovering Redemption, uh, looking at how everything finds its root in the heart and how Jesus came to recapture our hearts to live for him alone. And just really the heart of changes is repentance and faith. Where am I struggling to, uh, to believe the gospel, to obey? What's more important to me than surrender and obedience right now? And just bringing that into the light together in community and, and letting God's word and spirit slowly conform us to, to Jesus. That's the heart of it. That's awesome. And that is a great encouragement, like you said, with the first one. I feel like a lot of uh, church plants, that's been kind of the, the reawakening call to one-on-one discipleship, to uh, just the slow walking through life together. And so that is encouraging to hear that um, it's just keep doing the good work. Don't give up in, in doing what is good, but press on forward and, and you will reap the, um, the reward of that. So thank you so much, John, for, for all your insight in this and your experience, for sharing your own history with this. And uh, it's just been great having you on and be able to bless so many church planners with what you guys have experienced and done with in this concentrated area as this test site to be able to uh, expound your guys' history and knowledge uh, to so many other people who can help uh, all the more. So we like to end with a final question. And I didn't prep you on this, but you have mentioned Tim Keller a few times. You know, you mentioned that he's probably one of your your main heroes right now. And uh, we like to ask if you were to fight we're talking like all out fist fight where we've got this, you know, you're in a ring with Tim Keller. I know he's kind of older now and you're a young guy. So maybe a young version of Tim Keller, who would win? Would it be you or Tim Keller? Totally Tim Keller. Cause he's like six, five. He's really tall. Is he that tall? Yeah. He's a wow. He's got me on the reach thing and that old man strength. He would just whoop me. Oh, totally. I've seen guys totally destroyed in arm wrestling matches. The old man strength is real. I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. Maybe one day. That is awesome. Man, I learned something totally new today. No idea he was that tall. Well, (laughs) thank you, John, again for for being on. And how can people reach you? If uh, if they want to get in contact with you, is Twitter, Facebook, email, online. How can they get in touch with you? If you have more questions, they want to reach out to you about stuff. My email address is john, J-O-H-N, at theavchurch.com, A-V-E, church.com. Uh, and I'm even crazy enough to give my cell phone out if you want. Do you want me to give that? Sure. 561-827-1655. Love to hear from anybody. And uh, fellowship. 
All right. Now you got to go get that number changed. All right. Well, thanks you guys so much for listening. And uh, Peyton will be back for this next week's episode. But until then, Arnold, you can sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.